Hi, and welcome to the Trailside Channel. We are so glad you're joining us. God has a place and a purpose for you, and we hope this message helps you find that and know how much He loves you. Thanks for stopping by and enjoy the message. Good. So you may have wondered if you've been here before, you're like, wow, I've never heard them just sing straight hymns before. Um, that was purposeful. Uh, one of my favorite days of every few months is actually tonight, this afternoon, and I'd love for you to join us. Um, we have a pretty decent contingent going, uh, but it's called Hymns and Hops, and uh, it's actually at uh, this wonderful place called 13 Stripes, and um, we literally, there's churches from all over Greenville who gather, and we just sing hymns for like two hours, and it is amazing. It's so powerful. Um, it's kind of cool because if you grew up like I did in kind of a strict college time, um, you get to hold a beer and sing to God, and you're like, how do these go together? It's weird. Um <laughs> Yeah, but we have a great time. Uh, but it's at 13 Stripes. I think it starts at 7. Is that right? 7? Someone knows. 7. Um, but there's a ton of people, so get there a little early if you want. Uh, you can hang out there. But um, come there. It's just it's an incredible thing. It started out, I think we had 100, like 100, 130 people the first time I went. And uh, it was at Numa Square a few months ago in the middle of downtown, and they had 1,500 people. Um, yeah, and I would anticipate probably seven, 800, Aaron, probably tonight. Um, so it's just a huge crowd. If you're scared of crowds, probably come and just sit way in the back. Um, but if uh, you're excited about that, man, it's an incredible, incredible time. Um, also, something else to tell you about next week is huge for us. It is Vision Sunday. So next week, you're going to get to come here and hear about everything we feel the Lord is calling us to, what our plan is for the next year and the next two years and the next five years. Um, obviously, that's written in stone, and we're immovable, and none of that will change ever. So, um, no, but come hang out. Uh, we've got everything from uh, the different ministries we have to our brand-new college and career ministry with Pastor Tyler, which is so exciting because um, Furman North Greenville will be back in like three weeks. If you can believe that, it's almost over. Summer's almost over. Um, and also, it's going to include our financial statements um, and uh, kind of a breakdown of how we're doing that as well. So we'd love for you to be there. Let me pray real fast for us as we dive into the last week of uh, this series. Let's pray. Father, you're good, and pray that through studying your word this morning, you would begin to impact our hearts. Lord, allow, allow, us, to, um, allow us to be humble and humbled by your word. Uh, that it would show us what is within us that needs to be not in us, and that it would lead us to a place where we would have a deeper knowledge, understanding, and grasp of who you are and what you've done for us this morning. We love you. We thank you. And all God's people said, amen. So um, I'm going to try to actually only preach for a few minutes today, because I really want us to take time today as we have the Lord's Supper and celebrate that, um, to do that justice and to do that well. And so um, <clears throat> I'm hopefully going to only talk for a few minutes, but who knows? If you've come here more than twice, sometimes I can be a little lengthy because I do things like this. But I'd love for you to turn to John 6 with me, um, and we're going to be in uh, verse 32. <clears throat> if you have the app, it's right there as well. You can click Bible um, on the app as well. So um, as, we, as you get there, I want to tell you a quick story. So I was raised Catholic. Um, if anyone else is out there, ex-Catholic, holler at your boy. Uh, so yeah, pretty much scared of everyone and everything, uh, which is fun. But I remember we had a church picnic and my buddy and I, we're kind of like, I guess the guinea pigs or the, maybe not guinea pigs, but, um, the mules, 
for all the work, right? We were like 12 years old. And so my mom was really invested in the church and his mom and dad were really invested in the church. And so literally we had this picnic and of course, you know, there were things that needed to be done last minute, right? And so all the church is gone, like everyone's outside having fun. We're running around getting stuff, whatever mom and dad tell us. And one time we run through the hallway and we see where one of the ushers or altar boys has left all of the communion and all of the wine that wasn't used hanging out in the hallway, right? And so I'm 12, I'm like, okay, pretty hungry, haven't eaten yet. And so we make a game of it. So we're running through the hall. There's two doors on either side, and we're kind of running through the hall of this huge church, and we're kind of grabbing, you know, a piece of communion here, a piece of communion there. And after about the fourth time, my friend looks at me, and he goes, hey, there's a problem. This hasn't been blessed. And I remember very distinctly, maybe this was prophetic into my career, but I remember very distinctly running up, and I was like, okay, Chris, I got this. And I went, we're good. And we literally sat there, and we ate probably six pounds of communion. And... And we're 12 years old, you know, and so we're like, all right, nobody's here. Yeah. There's a huge chalice of wine, and we're like, well, we need to do this then, right? And so we're sitting there passing off the wine to each other, just taking sips. Like, you know, we're an 18-year-old, first Milwaukee's best, just killing it, <laughs> killing it, right? And then all of a sudden, this sweet old lady named Sister Mary Margaret. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, comes around the corner. And the great thing about her is that she knew us very well because I just had to have a meeting with her the week before. <clears throat> yeah. Um, on something totally unrelated, but uh, went in there. And um, I, I really honestly, when she saw what we did, it was kind of one of those moments where, like, I had the cup here, and she saw me, and I was like, well, I either need to go all in or this is going to be it, right? And so we kind of, like, looked and killed the cup, <laughs> put it down. <laughs> And um, that was uh, the last time Sister Mary Margaret talked to me. But um, all that to say, it was funny because we just didn't realize what we were doing, right? It wasn't a thing where it mattered. It was kind of a joke. We took it very lightly. But in that moment, what they saw us do when our parents saw us and smelled the wine on our breath, and, you know, it was just kind of a bad situation at the church picnic that year. Their, their frustration wasn't even that, like, we went and ate food and drank wine. It was that we had just totally mistreated something holy to them, something important. Um, and I never forgot that. And, and as I have kind of studied and walked through, and as we're going to read here, um, there's something special about the idea of who Jesus is and what he says about himself and why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so as you're here today, I want to give a little bit of context into that as we prepare to take that today. So we're going to be in uh, John 6, starting in verse 32, and this is what uh, the gospel says. I lied to you, starting in verse 25, we'll get to 32. So when they, the people, found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, 
It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and then gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Now, to give you some context on what's happening here, um, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's tired, so he goes and um, actually walks on water and shows up on the other side of this lake. All the people who just got all the bread are looking for him, wondering where the heck he's been, why he is where he's there, because they just saw one boat go across without Jesus, and then the next thing they know, there's Jesus on the boat or on the side of the, the water. And so they say, Jesus, how did you get here? Why are you here? And Jesus flips it around and says, listen, it's not why I'm here. It's actually why you're here. You're here because you had a fill of bread, because you ate a bunch of bread, and now you're wondering what's next. And so he's challenged by them, and he says, well, you know, our fathers ate the bread from Moses, the manna that was provided. And what that is, if you don't know that story, it's actually attributing back to Exodus 16. And what happened is all of Israel was in um, slavery, Egypt, and they finally got out, right? They had been beaten and destroyed and killed, and they were there forever. They finally get out, and as they're wandering the desert, they begin to get hungry. And the people of Israel, God's chosen people who had just seen God get them out of the Pharaoh's hold with all of the things we talked about, like the Passover, frogs, locusts, all these plagues, and then walked them through the Red Sea as they saw the sea go up and they walked on dry ground and then the water came crashing on their enemies. As God done all that, they finally get to a point where they're hungry and they begin to grumble against God. And here's what they say. They say, you know, it would have been better for us to die in Egypt than to be out here. That's a really interesting statement because of how it parallels so well with the Gospels here. It's literally them saying, hey, God has delivered us, but I'd rather be back in bondage so at least I could be full in my belly and happy. And so God hears their grumbling, and he says, listen, when you wake up in the morning, go and collect manna, bread, that I will rain down from heaven and drop on the ground, milk and honey. And so they went, and every day until they were at the promised land, they, would, they fed off of the bread they would pull from the ground. Now, my son has tried that without the bread. There it is. But what's funny about that is you still end up hungry. There's still more to be had. And so what they would find is that they were never really full. And so the people come and find Jesus. And he looks at him and says, listen, the reason that you are here and following me is because you know you're going to be hungry again. Because you know that what you just experienced isn't good enough. And these people would have known the context of that story too. And so when they see Jesus, they're like, listen, okay, you fed us once. We had one really good meal of bread and fish. But Moses fed all of Israel for 40 years. And they said, so show us a sign. Prove to us that you're worth following. Now, church, I don't mean to get ahead of myself here, but is that not the exact attitude that we see or that we might even have? Like, think about prayers that we have in moments where we're desperate, where, like, we have nowhere else to go. It's like, God, if you would just do this, then I'll follow, right? Then I'll listen. Like, if you would just meet me here and answer this, then I'll do whatever you want. Anybody prayed that prayer before? It's that desperate nature where we say, I've got nothing left, and God, I need you to show up in how I want you to, and then I'll trust you. That's like getting in a car Turn it on, driving down the highway and being like, all right, if I get there safely without driving, then I'll know I can drive a car well. 
If I don't crash off on the road and explode and die, then I'll be like, oh, okay, this is okay, safe way to travel. It's, it's, there's no faith involved. It's, it's this idea that God has to prove himself to be worthy of us. And all that Jesus is saying is the exact opposite. He says, listen, you're here because I gave you food, and you're going to be here until there's more food, and then you just want to prove that I'm going to keep on giving you food so you can be happy. And Jesus turns all that on his head, on its head, and he says, listen, what I, what I have is, is not for now. It's for always. And guys, we have so many people who do the same thing. You might do it yourself. You might be sitting here today and thinking like you're going to get through and that maybe God will meet you so you can feel something again and then you can follow him again. But, but what happens is that we forget that Jesus is always with us and hasn't forgotten us and that he walked in the desert with the people of Israel in the same way he's walking with you through your desert as well. And so when this is happening... These Pharisees and religious people are saying, we've seen signs, Abraham had this, Moses had this. What are you going to do to prove to me you're good enough? And that's the attitude. And it brings us to our first point today. It's this. Our relationship with Jesus has to extend into the everyday. It's not just a little bit. Right? Like, like, we can't just come to church on Sunday sometimes and have enough Jesus and be like, well, I'm good through the week. I'll be all right. Because Monday morning, most of y'all have to go to work. Like, let's be very clear about that. Right? Y'all need Jesus on Monday, too. I know I do, and I work here. But, but it brings a really interesting process and statement when Jesus speaks and says these things. And, and here's the question I want us to struggle with today. And, and I say this, it's a hard question and I want you to struggle with it. As your pastor, that's what I'm telling you. And it's, would you want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would you want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I'm going to go back and read verse 26 and 27 to give you a little more context into that. Read 25, 126, all right. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. See, here's the difference of what he says. Jesus is telling these guys, like, listen, you saw the miracle, you, you partook in the bread and the fish, you're full right now, you're happy, but what you've missed is the sign. A sign is a miracle that points to a greater truth. He says, you had the bread, you, you had the fish, but you're missing the entire thing of what that says. And he says, and here's what it is, that one thing that you experience points toward the eternity of being fulfilled and taken care of, that you have a hope. Like, like that was a morsel of what is the future that you can have. But they missed that. They missed that because they were just looking for the momentary sustenance to get them by. And when we get to these points, guys, where we pray these prayers that are desperate in nature, it's typically because all the prayers we prayed before weren't about God meeting us. They were just about what we needed in that moment. And so we pray prayers like, God, help me not punch that guy in the face. Right? Help me not curse at my kids. Help me not, whatever it is in your life. But, but the thing is, these, 
these moments where Jesus meets you, guys, those are the things that point to the greater hope that you have. And so Jesus tells these people, like, you've seen the miracle, but you've denied the, the sign. Because a sign forces you to acknowledge Jesus for who he is. Right? Like, if Jesus is exactly who he says he is, what does that mean for you? What does that mean right now today? What do you have to change immediately? If Jesus is just a miracle giver and just gets you through and meets you in this little moment of fear, but he says that's not good enough, that only points to who I am and is Lord of everything and wants all of you and every bit of you and all of your identity and all the things you fear and all your anxieties and all those things that you are trying to do to hold yourself up, if God says you have to give all of those away because I've given you a piece of what eternity is, what does that mean for you? And would you want heaven if Jesus wasn't there? Would you be satisfied if the promises of heaven, the things that are painted rosy pictures of being reunited with family members and no more fear and no more death and no more hurt, if that was there but Jesus wasn't, would you want it? Jesus is basically saying following me as a magician isn't satisfying long term. You're going to be hungry again. You'll want more food. He encourages them that their priorities are not to fill their bellies, but it's to follow him, and he will satisfy them for eternity. And guys, churches in America, especially, especially in the South, we have a bad problem with just satisfying our bellies for a little while. It's bad. We continue verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent me. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? So here's the second thing that we'll focus on today is that knowing Jesus and following Jesus are two different things. It's interesting that their response is, so what do I have to do? And we see that throughout scripture, right? You may know the story of the the rich young ruler. Anybody heard that one before? What does he say? He says, what do I have to do to receive eternal life? The woman at the well, I perceive you're a prophet. Best line ever. What do I need to do? See, what Jesus flipped on on the head was the idea of you being good enough and doing enough good things and him being more than good enough and already done those things. See, it moves from this idea that we say, okay, I'm in charge, so what do I need to do? I'm going to go to church, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to pray, um, I'm going to be really nice to my kids, and I'm not going to yell at people, and then God will be like, hey, great job, come on in. You're good. Because that's what we told ourselves, like, I have control, so as long as I have control, what do I need so God will be happy enough and proud enough of me? But that, that's not what Jesus says. I mean, the people ask him, what actions do I need to take? And Jesus says, nothing is what he says, nothing. He says, there's nothing you have to do. You don't need to be good enough. Church, let me take that pressure off of you. You don't need to be good enough. If things in your life aren't happening the way that you think they should, it has nothing to do with if you've been good enough or actions you've taken. 
God is not a God of karma theology. He's not mad at you and hoping that you're just going to do enough good things so he can bless you. That's not what it happens. That's not how it happens. And bad things that have happened to you aren't because God was mad at you or because you didn't pray enough or because it hurt too bad because you did something stupid. That's not what God does. He's not judging you and throwing lightning bolts down at you. Because it's not about what you do, guys. It's not about what you do and what you've done. It's about what he's done. But knowing who Jesus is is different from following Jesus. In fact, another scary verse for me personally is James 2, 19. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe and they shudder. See, that's, that messes me up a little bit, Right? Even like, okay, I acknowledge God, He's real. But the gospel or the book of James, excuse me, says, like, well, that's good. Even demons know that. When Jesus approaches the man with Legion, the demon called Legion, and drives him into the pigs, you guys familiar with this story? Like, they acknowledge him. They say, Son of man, why are you here? What have you, you've come to destroy us? Like, Every, like, they know who he is. Demons and Satan, like all the evil principalities of the world are not going, I wonder if anyone's going to come after us. Who are we fighting against? Like, they're aware. But this is why when we talk about things like justification, what, what makes you right, how you are made right in the eyes of God, it can't be about what you've done. Because if it's about what you've done, it can't be about what Jesus did. That's why we say on our flag out there, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Because if it ever has to be Jesus and some, then it's not Jesus, it's you. So the people say this, what do I need to be saved? And Jesus says, believe. That's it, believe. See, we've told ourselves that we need to be just like good enough to get to heaven. And Jesus says, no, you don't need to be good enough. You need to be found in my shadow. There's a, a popular um, kind of way back in the Old Testament time that you could tell what stage people were at kind of in their religious education. And so future guys who are disciples or following rabbis, what they would literally do is they would follow so close behind them physically in their walking as a way of showing that they were following them spiritually that the dust from the road would kick up and that they would be covered in dust. And that's how you knew who belonged to which rabbi. When they were falling around, you'd see dust on them, and you go, oh, okay. And that's what Jesus says. So listen, follow me. It's not about what you do. All you have to do is be close enough to the Lord that you're covered in the dust from his sandals. That's it. That's all he asks. That's the only action you take. Because godly action and things that are good don't propel you to heaven. If they did, Oprah would have the cleanest ticket there. Or maybe Ellen DeGeneres now. Right? best way in. But guys, we let that affect our theology of how we see God. Well, you're a good person. You're not giving tens of thousands of dollars away, are you? If you are, holler at your boy. Um, Got some needs. (laughs) But that's okay because it's not what it's about. Instead of being found in your good enough deeds, be found in the the dirt, the dust kicked up from the sandals of Jesus. 
um, when I was 17, I met, I met Jesus, and I went to a youth group because um, I followed pretty girls. It's kind of synonymous with my whole life. Um, and I did whatever they said, so, right? Yeah, Chris knows. Um, but I went there, and the first, the first time I ever heard anyone preach was the, the pastor who talked about Romans 10, 9, and 10. And I told you I was Catholic, and so my idea was, like, that you had to be good enough and got through lightning bolts down. And, you know, if you were bad, he would make your life bad. And he preached this verse out of Romans 10, which I actually have tattooed on my arm. Um, I know, judgment, we get it. But, um, but he laid it out as so easy and so beautiful. And this is all it says. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Done. Shoop. Finished. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and the mouth one confesses and is saved. Listen, guys. I don't care how holy you are. I want you to be holy. I want you to be Jesus. Be like Jesus, excuse me. I want to be like Jesus. But the way that you get into eternity and follow the dust of the Savior is by doing two things, believing and confessing. It doesn't say believe, confess, and then don't cuss at people on Woodruff Road. It doesn't say believe, confess, and like give enough money to church. Read your Bible enough. Never miss community group. It just says believe and confess. That's it. That, that's it. That's all it takes. Now, there's action behind that of what happens, but the whole idea that you could earn it is silly because if you could earn it, you could lose it. And if you could lose it, you would. It's very simple. But you can't, so you won't. If you could appease God enough to like you one day and then dislike you another, he would not be God. He would be a petulant 13-year-old girl. But he's not. And if you're a 13 year old girl, you're loved, I promise. That's why we have Mikey. <laughs> the third thing, as we close this today, this portion here, is that Jesus says he's the bread of life, not the bread for life. Verse 29 through 37, this is what scripture says. And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whomever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. See, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am not the bread for life. Every, everything comes through him. 
all sustenance, all need, all perseverance, all hope comes through Jesus alone. That's it. And we've made this so freaking complex. We've made this so hard to where we've said that people need to prove themselves to us to be worthy of the God who says in his own scripture, all you need to do is to know him. And we've said, no, no, it's know him and do this and don't be this and don't be that and don't do that. All these lists of things and we've become Pharisees and we've allowed Pharisee to be the complimentary statement of church. And guys, it is killing us. And I I think it grieves the heart of the Father. I, I genuinely, I do. When we stand at the front doors of churches and disqualify people from walking in and having an opportunity to know exactly who Jesus is, I believe it grieves the Father's heart because I see people doing that here and Jesus looks at them and says, you don't get it. You have missed it. And guys, we sit right next to them and shake our heads and do nothing. But Jesus says that he is the bread of life, not the bread for life. This crowd that he sees is open to worship whatever satisfies them in the moment. And there are churches with pastors who preach gospels that are meant to satisfy people in the moment, to get needs met and means attended to. But that's not the gospel of what Jesus says. He says, I am sustenance, I am life, I am everything you need. But church, what we have to do is be willing to give up ourselves so that he can come in and take that and meet that need and meet you where you are. Jesus doesn't care about your proclivities. Can I just say that? Like, how you're created, the things you are, or maybe like Jesus doesn't care about your proclivities. I am prone to yell at a television when football comes on. That doesn't define me. The original language of what he says is actually says, I am the bread which gives life and the bread that is living. That's kind of what the Greek breaks down into. From Jesus, life comes. Then he says, my father gives. Notice, it doesn't say my father has given, my father will give. He is is giving, currently gives, a present tense that Jesus is pointing to his own heavenly nature because he is always present in church. He is not done working in your life. And whatever way you've decided he's done and that chapter is closed, Jesus himself says, I'm present and I'm not done. So my question is, who are we going to trust in that? Are we going to trust Jesus, creator of all things, God of eternity? Are we going to trust our own fears and anxieties and decisions where we say, "Now I'm done, I'm cut off? Jesus' offer sustains us from now until eternity. And always has and always will. And will for the people in front of you and did for those behind you. The people who wrote the words for the songs we sang this morning have been sustained and are probably now in eternity being sustained. And that's unchanging about God. He is the bread of life, not for life. Because he sustains you from now until. Verse 36, I want to point one thing out before we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. 
But I said to you, you've seen me and yet do not believe. Church, you need to know something about Jesus today. That is, although you will fail in your faithfulness, although you will mess up, although you will not be perfect, Jesus is incapable of failing you. It's not in his character. And the moments that you've had in your life where you don't understand, and listen, I've lived some of those, okay? I'm with you. Like, I, I, I get it. We have had immense tragedy in our family. I can't tell you why things happen the way they do, but I know that Jesus didn't fail me in sustaining me through that because I'm still here because we're still here because the page that you're in isn't your whole story and Jesus isn't done writing it. And he says that those whom the Father has given him will never be removed from him. No matter where you are, it is not where God has you forever. Your story is not over, so do not give up on it. Do not be done with it. 1 Peter 1 says this. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, reserved in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power for the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. What does that say? That says that what Jesus has done, what he has called you to is imperishable. It will not die. It is undefiled. It cannot be dirtied or soiled by you or anyone else. It will not fade. You can't make God upset with you enough to where he's like, you know what? How Justin Chadwell, he's too happy. <laughs> Got to be fake. I'm mad at him now. God doesn't look at you and say, that J.C. Jones, she's, she's too angry, too stressed. There's no excuse that she has a seven-month-old baby inside of her stomach. He doesn't do that. It's unfading. It can't be stopped. Nothing can take it away from you. And so if you have it, the only command you have, the only thing Jesus says is to believe and be faithful. That's it. That's all God wants from you is faithfulness because it mirrors his faithfulness back to us. And guys, that only happens when we are found in the shadow of Jesus and we are covered in the dust from his sandals. So we're going to celebrate this truth this morning together. We're going to do kind of a different way as we take the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, we have gluten-free options. If you need gluten-free as well, you can come up here and I'll, I'll give it to you. But in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate that after I explain what we're doing. And we're going to have a couple cool things. We're going to have our elders up front. And they're just going to hold the bread after we talk about it. I want you to come right up the side aisles here and receive the bread. And then you can receive the, the cup. Tyler, Pastor Tyler will be up here with a cup if you want to go old school and take it from the chalice. Don't worry, we have a clean rag to wipe everyone's spit. Or if you want to use intinction, whatever you want to do, we want you to have the opportunity to worship in that moment in your own way. But this is what we celebrate this morning. As we talk about the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. 
the Lord's Supper is a commemoration of that event that as he was sitting with his disciples, reclining the last time he would eat a meal on earth, that he took the bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body which was broken for you. And it symbolized in that moment what he was about to go do on the cross. That, that he was preparing himself to be beaten and destroyed, to carry a wooden block of his own death sentence up a mountain, and then to be nailed to it. And after his back was torn piece by piece, he was hung on a cross and slowly suffocated in his own blood as it filled his lungs taking the harshest penalty anyone had ever taken. And he did that in our place. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured for you. Poured for you, not poured for you, that's bad. Poured for you, it was going so perfect. As often as you drink it, do so remembrance of me. And he passed the cup. This is a a moment where we want you to worship in two ways corporately, as we all engage in this together, but also personally. Scripture encourages us in 1 Corinthians to examine our hearts. That if there be any unclean way or anything we need to be removed and repent from, that we would approach the table purely. But as we take in this together, we are taking this as a corporate statement that we believe, trust, and are saved by Jesus' own body and blood and his resurrection. I will say this, though, in this moment, that this is a, um, a family meal. And so if, if you are not a Christian, that's fine. You're welcome to be here always. But I'd ask that you not partake in this but if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to be my invitation would extend that you can partake in the broken body and blood of Jesus that you can have hope that is eternal because as Romans 10 9 and 10 says if you believe and confess that's all it takes it is an acknowledgement that Jesus did go to the cross in your place and hung and died and then three days later resurrected and defeated death so that when this broken world is over for our life, it would not be the only thing, the only hope we have. That the brokenness of our bodies and our world scream toward a need for eternity and redemption. And so as we celebrate that this morning, the thing that Jesus instituted with his disciples, I'd ask that if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, that you would abstain. And lastly, before you come, I'm gonna pray and and we're gonna sing a little bit. And It's just meant to be a a song of reflection. You're welcome to sing with, but I'd, I'd rather you take at least a moment and consider your heart. Ask God if there be any unclean way in you, anything that needs to be removed from you. So as you come to the table, you come with a pure heart, with an open heart. 
And as we celebrate the very thing that Jesus did for us, that it would be more than just a wafer and wine that a 12-year-old could shove in his mouth and get yelled at by a sweet, sweet old nun. But instead, it would be the memory that what Jesus did is eternity shifting in your life. And that you would come to the table ready to acknowledge that today. That you would leave encouraged knowing that it is undefiled and imperishable, the promise God has placed in you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your cross. We thank you for the opportunity to be known by you, to be loved by you. And I thank you, God, that you love us so much that you came. You came into the place of our own heart, our own fear, and you said that, God, we were worth all of the pain of the cross, all of the idea that you would come down and become a baby born in humility, that you would take on, you would take on our depravity, our humanness, that you would live perfectly and die in our place, a death you didn't deserve that we did. Father, help us to hang on to that truth, that it will be sustenance, not just for today, but forever. And that when you call us home, when our last chapter is written, that we can know the promise is imperishable, undefiled. That nothing in this world, no action we take, no thing we do, and no thing anyone else do, does can ever take away from the promise you have because you hold us tight in your hand forever. So Lord, as we take this bread and take this cup, Help us to acknowledge what it is you've done because you are good. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message and you feel closer to Christ than you ever have before. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, visit us in person, or help support our mission as we seek to love Jesus, serve others, and live unified, check us out online at trailside.church, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, and we can't wait to see you again soon.